Welcome to episode six of the Clinch Fight Podcast. I'm Michael O'Donnell, and I'm delighted to be once again joined by my co-host, Mr. Oliver Theo. Ollie, how's it going, Hello. mate? Hi, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Can't complain. In the last episode, we spoke about the highly anticipated rematch between Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic. We both predicted that it would be quite a straightforward victory for the champion. However, we couldn't have been any more wrong. Ollie, what happened? Uh, we were way off the mark. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone saw coming what happened. It was a it was a different Francis to what I think we've ever seen before. Yeah, hundred percent. Like in the last episode, we spoke about how we haven't really seen Nganu make the changes that we'd like him to see. We didn't see yeah. much wrestling. We didn't see much jujitsu, etc. But when I watched that fight, as soon as Nganu kind of defended that takedown, I thought, oh shit, something's that going, it. that's it. That that was, it was such a game changer. <laughs> that one little moment just changed everything, didn't it? That, the, the whole fight changed. You could tell, see, as soon as the fight started and within the first minute, Francis's corner was shouting to him to, take, to be patient and to take his time. And I think that was a, was a key to him in this. He didn't go in like he did last time where, he, like in the first round, he catches Miocic with a right hand and in the first fight, when he catches him, he just gets fucking organs blazing and he just bombs in it and when he tries to put him away there and then. Whereas this time he hits him with the right hand, Miocic just kind of takes it pretty well. And Ngannou just takes a step back. He doesn't just foot on the gas straight away. And that's already a difference that we've not seen in Ngannou before, where when he hits someone, he's just you know taking his time, he's relaxed, and he's just going back to work again. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I think the key factor really for that fight was the patience and Garnu shown. Didn't try and jump on him too early. Didn't kind of in like in the first fight straight away he kind of looked for that first round knockout. But he thought he takes his, he took his time. He kept behind his jab and he just waited for that moment to strike. And then when he got it, he took full advantage of it. Exactly. I just said that when when he stopped that first takedown, I, I remember he, he sprawled it and it was just oh god, the scariest man in the world now has takedown defense as well so uh and, and then he takes his back he doesn't just stop the takedown he then takes his back and starts throwing shots from the back and and Milch's head starts bouncing and the hair starts going and you're like oh god this is this is going to go very bad for Stipe and then in the sprawl out of it he also then shoots for a takedown himself he's also going for takedowns as well yeah I mean the maddest thing about that knockout was Miocic kind of catches Ngannou doesn't he and then he kind of gets overexcited and then just walks straight on to a punch yeah. from Nganu. But bearing in mind, Myosic was hurt before that as well. Myosic kind of hadn't fully recovered, but then he kind of catches yeah. Nganu when he's hurt. And then he jumps in there, which is quite unusual. Because you think for someone with Myosic experience, you wouldn't really think he'd jump in the way he did, but he did. No. It was lights out, really, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. As you said, he, he, he kind of, Nganu catches him with sort of a, it's, it's a jab, but it kind of turns with it as well at the same time, and it, it kind of comes up as as an uppercut sort of jab, and almost well, pretty much drops Miocic, and then Ngannou starts putting the pressure on, and then Miocic catches him with a good right, and yeah, as you said, Miocic rushed someone who's a Golden Glove champion, has a lot of experience boxing, is then rushing in on the hardest puncher in human history, mm-hmm. and it, it, it didn't go well for him. Yeah, like to be fair, I don't usually like being wrong with these sort of things. But I think considering where 
where Ngani was coming from and his background story is you could you could probably make a movie of it to be honest. And exactly. I was kind of happy that he did win when I think about it now. Yeah. And you could see what it meant to him afterwards, where he jumps on the side of the cage and he's hugging his coach. But another honorable mention from that fight as well is Ngano throwing a head kick. I don't think anyone saw that coming either. <laughs> I yeah. mean it may have only landed with toes in the end, but I mean for a man that big to start throwing head kicks as well. He's a dangerous man. That's it. Like in the first episode, I mean the last episode, sorry, that you know, we kind of made out like Nganu just had one, you know, one thing to his game, and that was kind of stand-up yeah. boxing and taking him out. But he showed quite a few, a variety of things, really, didn't he? It looked like a different fight. It didn't look like Francis Nganu when he went out there. He was calm, his boxing was it was sharp. It wasn't like in the Rosenstruck fight where he comes out and it's just he's just throwing everything and they're wild and in this, everything was just crisp and it was tight and it was clean. And in the first round, Stipe kind of, to a point, looked puzzled. Like he didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He didn't know what to throw. The takedown had been stuffed. It's kind of. It looked like he was maybe just thinking, "I just need to get this to the later rounds at the minute and just hope nothing goes wrong between now and then." Because he did. He didn't really have an answer to anything in the first round after that takedown was stopped. I. I mean. A champion of Myosic's caliber as well. When he kind of runs out of ideas, is it's a really hope for anyone against Ngannou. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, he's arguably the heavyweight goat, and he was in there just. You could tell he was like, "What what do I do?" Yeah, it's that's... really it's a really exciting future, really for Ngannou. Like, I can't wait to see what he does next. Talking about future fights, it's heavily rumored that he could be fighting Derek Lewis next, but I think. The fans would obviously prefer the super fight with John Jones. What do you think is most likely to happen next, though? I don't think, as uh, you may have seen on Twitter, um, they, I think they offered Ngannou versus Lewis to be in June. <clears throat> and um, Ngannou, I think, has declined because it's too early for him. I think he wants more time, which you don't blame me. You know, you just arguably beaten the heavyweight GOAT. You just won the, your first world title. You want to Want to enjoy the moment for more than two months, but um, obviously the John Jones fight is there, and there's issues with pay, which we'll come on to. But there's also the Stipe rematch. Stipe deserves, if anyone deserves a rematch, it's Stipe. And we see how he makes adjustments when he fought DC the first time, and then he fought him the second time. He he made the adjustments and he won, and then he won the, the, the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So there there is also on the card for the the trilogy, yeah, the trilogy with Stipe. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying with Stipe. Like, you would, he does deserve that rematch. And like you said, he is the he is the greatest heavyweight of all time. It's one all, so it would make sense to do the rematch. But in that tri- in that uh, rematch, he just he looked he looked old, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he was he had an off night, yeah. but he did not like the he didn't like the Stipe we knew. And I don't know if that's no. because of the age he's currently at, the miles on the clock, or maybe he just had an off yeah. night. It'd be, I mean, there's only one way to find out, I guess, but the way he was knocked out, it, it was bad. It was like a career-ending knockout, in my opinion. Yeah, the way the leg went and everything. And then the thing as well is, if you do make that fight, or if you think about making that fight, you're then risking the biggest fight, possibly, of the year that the UFC have in Ngano versus John Jones. Do you, do you risk that fight, the massive pay that the UFC are gonna, could make from that? It's, it's a, t- a tough decision to make. Definitely, for sure. In the last episode, we, we touched on the prospect of potentially Derek Lewis and Ngannou having a rematch. Obviously, the first one wasn't the greatest heavyweight spectacle 
ever. Do you think the rematch will give us more entertainment? Yes. Um, Nganu has confidence, the confidence that he didn't have in the first Derek Lewis fight, obviously coming off the loss to Stipe in the five rounds. And I think mentally it just really affected him. Whereas now, you know, he's the world champion and the, the confidence that, that would give you and in a, in a way the ego it would also give you. I don't think Nganu would come out and be scared to throw his hands. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Especially when you've knocked out, you know, the greatest heavyweight of all time. I think, you yeah. know, he's definitely going to stand there and trade with Derek Lewis, for sure. I mean, John Jones, you, you said that he's asking for a lot of money for that fight of Nganu. Do you think he warrants the kind of money he's asking? What, how much is he talking? I can't, it's, it's between 25 to 50 million, isn't it? So I think in the beginning, the UFC offered John Jones between 8 to 10 million, and he mm. said no. He won somewhere in the region of 50 million. I feel like he's probably overshooting it a bit. So, if it came down to between 25 and 40 million, he'd probably be happy. And personally, I think he does deserve he does he deserves that, that money. He's mm-hmm. been around since he was a champion at 23, the youngest ever champion. He is, I, th- I think, he's the, the goat of MMA. Yeah. And yeah, I think, he, as he said as well before, he got massively underpaid. He feels when he was coming up and when he just became champion and he wants to make up for the amount of money that he's made the UFC and not being paid. Yeah, it's a strange one with um, kind of the finances in MMA in comparison to boxing, for example. Like, it doesn't really matter. If it came down to who was the best fighter and that's the best fighters get paid the best money, then John Jones would probably be by far the highest paid fighter in the UFC. But obviously John Jones doesn't kind of earn that Conor McGregor money, does he? And obviously, Conor McGregor gets that money probably more based on his popularity, if, that, if that's fair to say. I would agree, um, but disagree at the same time. I would agree if, it were, if he was fighting anyone else, but because he's fighting Francis Ngannou and the hype that is also around Francis Ngannou mm. and John going up in weight, I think he deserves the Conor McGregor money. Okay. But obviously, the UFC are saying they're not going to pay him, but um, I think you do a bit of a breakdown into how much money the UFC makes from these events. If they were to sell, they'd sell a pay-per-view in America for $70 and they were to sell a million pay-per-views, that's $70 million. If they were to sell 1.5 million pay-per-views, that's over $100 million. Right. They also make millions from ticket sales, from merchandise, from sponsors, from TV deals and things like that. So I don't think, to be honest, John is asking for too much money. And this is the biggest risk of his career. It's the biggest fight of his career. And I think he deserves to be paid for it. Yeah, the funny thing but is then, as well. Go on. But, but then at the same time, if you're paying John, say, 40 million, 30 million, Francis Ngano isn't going to sit there and just say, oh, that's okay, you can pay me 2 million. He's going to want at least, even though John is the one that brings more chips to the table, but Francis is still bringing a big, a big wedge with him. Mm-hmm. And if he's getting paid anything less than 50% of John, I don't think he's going to agree to the fight. So I think that's where they kind of could be at a crossroads is they know if they pay John big, they have to pay Francis big. Yeah, definitely, for sure. The The funny thing is as well, I was watching um, the hot boxing with Mike Tyson, the Nganu episode, and um, Tyson, it, Nganu mentioned that the stumbling block between them is John Jones wants a certain amount of money, and Tyson was like, yo, just pay him, just pay him, which, and yeah. Nganu didn't seem to disagree with that. I think Nganu was like, yeah, they should just pay him, but I think secretly really he's thinking, but pay me just as much as well. Yeah, it's like, 
and pay him and then I'm going to come and renegotiate my deal as well for this fight. Definitely, you know, like we said earlier, from where he's come from to where he's got to, he deserves as, deserves as much, really, you could argue. Although John Jones is he is the superstar of UFC, really. He's the, yeah, he is the goat. He's the bad boy of MMA. Exactly. What do you think Ngannou will do next, Ollie? realistically? Honestly, I have no idea. Okay. This could go anyway. You think you know where it's going to go with especially because of the UFC you think you know where it's going to go and then it just goes the complete opposite way mm. it, it is a very difficult are they going to is John going to accept less will the UFC pay more will Derek Lewis wait and take the fight a bit later on yeah. it's, it's quite hard and then there's also uh, Gane who is another Frenchman is fighting Volkov soon and they're both top ranked guys and if Gane wins that then you know there is the possibility of a of a French super fight of Ngannou versus Ghana in Paris, where MMA has just become legal within the last year. So obviously the UFC could be looking to do a, a big event there. You could sell up a stadium with that. Yeah, I mean, has France ever hosted a UFC event? I'm not aware of one. No, I think because MMA has only just become legal within the last year or so right. in France. So it could be, you know, it's a, it's a new market and that's, that's the fight really to take France by storm, I think. I mean, what better to kick off the UFC in France with the heavyweight championship of the world? I mean, it's not bad, is yeah, it? Especially Frenchman fighting for the heavyweight championship. Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with Ngannou. I think, I think with John Jones recently, obviously he's posted a lot on social media about him kind of build himself up to heavyweight, and it looks like he's training for a big fight. So I think it would make sense for that height, that fight to happen next with with all the stuff that John Jones is posting. Yeah. However, with these super fights, you see, for example, I'll go back to boxing, like Fury AJ, there's so much stumbling blocks going on, so much politics, so many um, percentages need to be agreed, venues, everything like that. I think these kind of super fights are a lot harder to make, and I think maybe it could be a case of a needs more building, perhaps. I'd agree. Um, but then I'd also argue that the fact that because they're all within the UFC which is just the one organisation that does remove a lot of those stumbling blocks like you say with AJ and Fury they're, they're debating where the event is going to be held and they've been offered from uh, places to hold it around the world whereas the UFC just say you know this is how much we're going to pay you if they agree on that it's like right this is where it's going to be and you just that's, that's where it is Yeah do you know what I'm quite confident actually that the John Jones fight might happen next because obviously Jones could potentially make his heavyweight debut against the champ. And I think for Ngannou personally, it could be better to take on John Jones in his first fight, the early days yeah. at heavyweight. It's less dangerous. And I think Dana would probably prefer Ngannou to be taking less of a risk fighting John Jones yeah. personally. Because I think Dana unquestionably has a better relationship with Ngannou than he does with John Jones. As you can obviously yeah, tell by John Jones' tweets. Yeah. Exactly. They don't want him to, to lose the belt after the first fight when, you know, you, you get a good five or six fights out of him where he's just starching people and everyone's paying to watch it. So, I don't know. I think Ngannou will definitely be John's first fight at heavyweight. But whether Ngannou's next fight is John at heavyweight, I'm not too sure. And I think, like you said earlier, there's a bit of a stumbling block with the, uh, with the dates. Obviously, Ngannou thinks June is too soon. So that will obviously give Ngannou and Jones more time to prepare for a super fight that could potentially happen 
August, September. You never know. Yeah, as it, it works, it works better for John Jones. The fact that Ngannou doesn't want to fight, then, and and in a way as well, I kind of feel like Ngannou may have said no to that fight because he kind of wants to wait out for the John Jones fight. You know, he wants. Why would you not want to wait out and get a, a couple, a couple extra million? Hundred percent. We're gonna uh, move away now from the Francis Ngannou John Jones heavyweight talk. We're gonna move on to UFC two sixty one. Kamara Usman, this George Masvidal too, or Jorge Masvidal, excuse my uh, pronunciation. Do you think Masvidal deserves this rematch? Mm, no. And yes. Right. No, because obviously he lost and there are other contenders in the division. And yes, because of the fact that he took the fight on like a week's notice, had to cut an, an insane amount of weight. And he, you know, in the first few rounds, he he, he came out all guns blazing, mm. and he was there to he was there to scrap. So yes, for that, but no, because there's also a lot of other good fighters in that division that could be given a shot. Yeah, that division is absolutely stacked with the likes of obviously Usman, Masvidal, Covington, Leon Edwards. The list goes on, and obviously the who was the guy who fought Woodley in his last fight? I can't when we spoke on the last. Uh, Vincent uh, Luque. Luke, I mean, Luke's coming off a big win now. He could make a case breaking yeah, into that top exactly. five, getting a potential shot further down the line. I mean, you could think, you know, I think there's a couple that probably should be in friends of Masvidal. I think Leon Edwards and Covington included in that list. But however, it'll be interesting because now Masvidal will have a longer training camp going into yeah. this fight. Obviously, he took it, was it a one-week notice, the last one? It was about a week's notice and he had an awful lot of weight to cut. Exactly, and... You know, do you think do you think having a longer training camp will impact the rematch? Will it will it be will it go? Some, do you reckon it'll be slightly different this time around? I I don't see the rematch being much different. The main thing I see being different is Masvidal will have better cardio, mm-hmm. and I the, like the thing is he came out in that first round of that fight, and he came out guns blazing. He came out looking for an early finish, and you, you can kind of you can tell. And then in the second round, he's Still, I mean, he's always dangerous. He was dangerous the whole fight when uh, Usman just gives him a little bit of space and he just starts throwing. You know, he's a great fighter. He's tough. They give him a little bit of space and he just starts throwing. Um, but I don't I don't see the fight being too much different. I mean, Masvidal had decent takedown defence, even though he didn't exactly have much time to train specifically for Usman. So it, it will be an interesting fight, though. Yeah, unquestionably, Masvidal is going to be fitter for this fight. If you have a longer training camp, unless you completely overtrain for the fight, then yeah. you know, then then he might have an adrenaline and rush or something. Cut the weight as well. Exactly. I think his, his body will be, he'll be a lot fitter and sharper, but it depends whether he's added to his game and made the correct adjustments really going into that rematch with Usman. That's the question really yeah. needs to be answered in this fight. What do you think happens uh, to the winner? What do you think happens if Masvidal wins, for example? Do you think there'll be a trilogy, or do you think Usman will have to join the queue for the next, you know, with the next content- with the contenders in line? I think there'll be a trilogy. I think because Usman has given Masvidal the rematch, I think they kind of won't really give Masvidal much of a choice but to give Usman the rematch. Yeah. Um. But if if Usman wins, then I think. He may fight either the winner of um, Edwards versus Diaz or Colby Covington. Yeah, I mean, 
I'd like to see those two fight, to be fair. I know Leon Edwards has now obviously recently announced that he will be fighting Nate Diaz, which is a good fight for Edwards, I think. Not so much Diaz. But going back to the topic of really who should be potentially fighting Usman, I think there's so many, like we say, there's so many good contenders in that division. It's really it'll be really interesting to see what happens after this fight. Yeah. Uh, prediction. Do you well, how do you think this fight goes? Well, I think so. Masvidal clearly has the advantage on the feet. He, he, his combos have just crisper. The way he, his striking all round is just there, and he captures Usman a lot. He caught him in the first round of the fight with an I think it was a left hook, and it kind of didn't rock Usman as such, but you know it it, it sent him back a little bit. So Masvidal clearly has the advantage on the feet and he just needs to, he needs the space, just a, a little bit of space even. As I said, he's, he's, a, he's a great fighter, he's a street fighter, so he'll come to scrap. Um, Usman is clearly the better wrestler. He, he will hold him against the cage and he'll just try and keep dragging him to the floor. And th- th- that's how I think Usman stood, but as we saw in the first fight, Usman stood with him quite a bit as well. And I think Masvidal, with a full camp, that is not a good idea for Usman because he, yeah, I think he'll catch him a lot. And Masvidal, as we've seen with like the Darren Till fight, has the ability to just one punch knock you out. So I th- I th- it's a tough one. It's a very tough one because it just depends on on how Masvidal has prepared for this fight. If he's done anything specific for Usman, if he's working on you know creating that space and and just not allowing the takedowns and getting off the cage, then it could be a long night for Usman. I mean, in terms of the way I predicted the Nganu and Miosic fight, I'm probably going to get this horribly wrong, but I just can't see anything other than Usman win. Like I said with Nganu Miosic, I only see Usman. I mean, Usman has so much more to his game, and I reckon, than Masvidal. Unless Masvidal, like you said, could turn it to some sort of street fight and some striking contest. I mean, that's his only way he's going to win. Obviously, it makes it really rough and dirty kind of thing. But I think Usman's, with the size of him, I think he's just going to take him to the ground. He's going to not fight Masvidal's game at all. And I think he'll probably cruise the victory again because I think Masvidal's pretty tough unless he, get, unless he chokes him out. I can't really see him stopping yeah. Masvidal. Well, I'm going to go against your prediction. I'm going to say it's going to be a Masvidal finish. I think the striking is too good. I think Usman entertains the striking far too much for his level. And I think Masvidal gets the finish. Very interesting. It's a great fight, and I can't wait for it. I think it's a more intriguing fight than the first one. Seeing as now Masvidal has a full training camp, so we'll see how it goes, and look forward to reflecting on that when we do another episode. We're gonna now move away from the states and go down to the land of our fathers, Wales. Mister Jack Shaw. Got a great win on the weekend. Uh, can't quite, what was the opponent's name? I kind of forgot. Hunter Azure. That's the one. How do you think Jack Shaw performed? Was it a good performance? I think that was the perfect opponent for Jack to fight in his third fight in the UFC. You know, he's two wins, two finishes before this. And it hasn't been... I mean, the Noel Hernandez fight, his first fight was... It was a bit tough, but you could always see Jack was winning that fight and it was just going to be comfortable. Whereas this fight was, it was a good fight for him to step up. It wasn't too far of a step, but it wasn't too easy of a fight. Mm-hmm. And the, his opponent, you know, made sure that he didn't just roll over and let Jack take the win. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think it was a very mature performance from Jack. I think he showed a lot to his game. And I think he never really looked like... He didn't like he crumbled into the pressure at all. When, it, when things were going against him, when his opponent was kind of on top in the, in the ground game, he didn't seem to panic. He seemed to stay composed. No. And he, he, whenever he got reversed, he was within 10, 15 seconds, he's reversed again. I think Shaw proved that he has he has a plan B and a plan C in fights. And I think he has so much yeah. to his game. I think very, he has so much very, potential. Strangely calm. Yeah, he was. He was insanely yeah. calm. I, I, I think Shaw definitely won the first and the third round. I think the second one was a bit closer. I thought his opponent yeah, was coming into it. But I think Shaw starting and finishing strong definitely won him that fight. Yeah, and I mean, his opponent was a college wrestler, so this is the first like opponent that he's fought that you know is a legit wrestler and is is very good at what they do and is known for being a wrestler. And it, it seemed like with with the commentary, they didn't really know too much about Jack's wrestling, but watching him through Cage Warriors and through the amateur days and things like that, is our wrestling's always been very good. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't too much of a surprise maybe for people in the UK watching that fight, that Jack was very good at wrestling. He also was training with Brett Johns. And this, that's what Jack did that fight is exactly how Brett got into the top 10 in the UFC. He's just gritty, he's tough. He's very good technically, and he's just a hard opponent to beat. And I think that's that it's the same for Jack. Yeah, I think um, Shaw has also had kind of like the perfect transition to the UFC. I think he's had the right fights at the right time. He's kind of climbing that ladder at a good pace at good levels yeah that's what I feel exactly. like he's only 26 years old so there's, yeah. there's no need to go and try and get into the top 15 immediately mm. you just take your time you, you make a bucket load of money and you just work your way up just it's all experience and personally now for next I'd like to see him fight a guy the same sort of level as Hunter Azure but as a striker not a wrestler, a striker that has a decent takedown defense to see how Jack goes then. Jack's take uh, is striking in that fight. His one twos are very crisp. They were straight down the middle and they were landing. Um, as that that left high kick as well was it was there was no telegraph to it, it just popped up and that was very nice. Um but he did get caught with a one two once or twice, which um I mean realistically that's that's the worst thing you can say about his performance. Um you put on a good performance if that's it. I mean, at that level, you're always going to get caught, aren't you, with a few shots? Yeah. There's always going to be times when you're going to be in trouble. Personally, for me, I would rather see him go through tough moments now for when he goes into that elite level, he's prepared for it. Yeah, yeah he's been through it. He knows what it feels like. Definitely. And I mean, he's been a champion before as well, Cage Warriors. I think he's... I think what's good about it as well, I think the UFC... They understand his situation. I think they're not going to push him too too quickly, too soon. I think they're making, they give, like I said earlier, they're going to give him the right fights at the right time. They're going to step him up gradually. And I think by the time he's ready for that ultimate test, I think he will be more than ready for it, hopefully. 100%. You'll have an awful lot of fights. You'll still most likely be under 30 years old. You know, he's, he's got a, a massive amount of experience for his age. And he's only getting better. How far do you think Shaw can go? I know it's really early days and it's possibly unfair for me to ask this because the difference between being a Cage Warriors champion and probably the top 10 UFC, there's a, there's a lot, there's a big, there's, there's yeah, levels, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's a massive gap. However, do you think there's a lot of potential for Jack Shaw? 
to possibly get into that top 10 in the world? 100%. As you said, it is a tough question because he is still, he's only three fights into the UFC at the minute. It is a massive step up from almost any organization into the UFC. But he has, he has the blueprint from Brett Johns of how to get there. The only thing is, at Bantamweight in the UFC, it's stacked. There's so many killers and there's so many guys that are just, they're good everywhere. They're not good, they're outstanding everywhere. Mm. So it is a very tough division to be in. I think to get to that top 10, he's got a lot to learn still and there's a lot to, to go through. But you know, he's got time and he's learning, he's improving every fight. But there is no reason why he can't get there, I don't think. Yeah, definitely. And I would say to all of Jack Shaw's fans, I think just enjoy the ride for what it is at the moment. These are the early days. When he gets to that top, there's going to be loads of these big fights. There's going to be probably twists and turns. There's going to be setbacks, maybe. You know what I mean? We just got to enjoy the ride for what it is now. And then we'll see. We'll see where he goes. Exactly. It's all good, it's all good for Welsh MMA. <clears throat> exactly. Um, do you think there's potential for the UFC to possibly come to Wales, providing that Jack Shaw keeps winning? Potentially. There is... Um, an arena being built uh, in Cardiff Bay, um, right. which I think could be a possible look. I think the motor point um, in Cardiff City Centre maybe maybe a bit too small. Yeah, I think so. So, and then obviously the next step up would be the Millennium. Is the so, and that's obviously far too big. Mm. So I think this arena they're building in Cardiff Bay is kind of like mid-sized and. That could be where a UFC comes to Cardiff. The venue I would love a UFC event to be in Cardiff would be Cardiff Castle. I can that would be class. Like that would be unbelievable. It wouldn't, how good would that be? The surround, like, do you mean the surroundings with it? The castle in the background. Yeah. It'd be, oh, that's, that would be, that's, that would be, that would be my else. dream venue for the for the UFC to go yeah. to. I, I don't think there'd be a limit on how much I'd pay for a ticket to that. Oh, definitely. 100%. But yeah, it'd be fantastic if uh, UFC could come to Wales. It really would. I think we. I think we've got more than enough venues to do it. You know, like you said, Cardiff City Stadium could be that could be one. More Point Arena, yeah, probably too small. But you also got Millennium Stadium. I mean, that would have to be an absolute huge fight for the Millennium yeah, Stadium. That'll be Jack Shaw becomes the new Conor McGregor, and he's fighting someone else <laughs> off Conor McGregor's level. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, let's just hope that the UFC does come to a uh, Wales someday, or not just the UFC, maybe a big Bellator card, which we'll touch on yes. a fighter next who is making his debut on that very soon. What would, but before that, what would you like to see next from Shaw? As I said earlier, I'd like to see him fight someone who's striking is like the equivalent of Andrew Lewis wrestling, mm -hmm. but also has a bit of takedown defense. And I'd like to see how Jack sort of deals with that. Someone that can maybe stop a lot of the takedowns and then when it comes onto the feet, is yeah, he's good with, it, with his hands. And I think that would be the appropriate next step for Jack to improve mm. his game. But so he's got Gary Lockett as his boxing coach, so he's a world-class trainer in it for his stand-up. Mm. Yeah, I would personally like to see Shaw in with someone just outside that top 20 and then break into that top 20 next. I think if there's someone just outside, kind of like a gatekeeper, and if he looks good yeah. in that, if he looks amazing against someone outside that top 20, then you know it's time for him to kind of break through and yeah. Make an attempt in there. And I think, yeah, that's what I'd like to see him do next. We're going to now turn our attentions to another Welsh world-level uh, MMA fighter in Brett Johns from Swansea. He's making his Bellator debut 
on May the 21st. He is fighting, excuse my pronunciation once again, Mateus Matos, I think his name is. His record is 12 wins. He's got two losses and one draw. Do you think he'll provide a stern test for Johns on his debut? Or do you think it's kind of like, will it be like a straightforward kind of introduction for him into Bellator? No, I don't think they've just gone, let's give him a win on Bellator. I think they've given him a tough opponent immediately. This guy, his two losses have come to Peter Yan, which albeit was outside the UFC and was a while ago, but still. Um, and Magomed, Magomedov, who is ranked number three at Bellator, right. um, who I think his record is 18 and one. So okay. his only two losses are to real good fighters. So this is a very tough fight for Brett, but it's a Brett's got so much experience now. He's had seven fights in the UFC. He's only lost to the elite and he's beaten a lot of the elite as well. So this will be, it'll be a tough fight, but you know, I, I, I think, I think Brett will get through it. Yeah. And don't forget he fought Sterling, didn't he? He was now the UFC champion. So he'd only learn from that, wouldn't he? Yes. exactly. And I, I think, they can't give him like a top five guy immediately because I think everyone would be like, well, you know, you just skip the queue. There's some of us between five and 10 that could fight these people that have fought for you before, you know? So I think they're giving him a good opponent that's only lost the legit fires. So then they can just, you know, check him straight in then because Brad Johns, as you said, he's lost the UFC champ and he's lost to another top 10 guy. So he is going to be one of their top fighters and they want him up there sooner than later. And I think for Brett Johns personally, he's not going to really, at the level he's currently fighting at, he's not going to want to fight someone who he's miles better than because that doesn't really do anything for his career. Exactly. Although, you know, exactly. COVID's, although, you know, the COVID situation, he's been probably slightly inactive, I'm guessing. You know, I, you know, I think he's not going to want to go down a level. He's going to want to do something that's going to progress him up there, isn't he, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, and rightly so, you'd have his eyes set on that Bellator title. And I think he has a good chance of winning it personally. So I think going in and fighting someone that is just there for him to beat, as I, said, I don't think it does anything for him. And I don't think, as a competitor, that's, that's what he'd want. He, 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 he wants to fight the best. I think it's such a shame, really, that um, Brett and <clears throat> Jack Shaw aren't both in the same company because... That would give us a bigger chance, really, of having a UFC show or, you know, or, or a Bellator show in Cardiff or Wales, wouldn't it? If we had both yeah, of the two biggest fighters in the country on the same card, that'd be great. But, you know, just to have fighters in Wales fighting for these massive companies is good enough for me. I'll take that any day. Yeah, exactly. For how many years was it till Wales even got a, a Welshman signed in the UFC? Yeah. So now we have quite a few. <clears throat> the other top MMA organisations, you know, we, we can't really argue where we're being treated at the minute. Yeah, definitely. Like UFC have given a lot of opportunities to Welsh fighters recently and so have Bellator, obviously. So I think it's in a good place. Welsh MMA is in a stronger place than it's ever been. And it can, yes. it's only going to get better, 100%, isn't it? Yeah. So do you think that Brett John's spell with the UFC then has put him in a solid place going into Bellator. Do you think he's learned enough through the UFC to push him up there? Yes, I think he has fought the best. He is one of the best. And he will be one of, if not the best in Bellator. They, I mean, the top five in Bellator, there are still elite fighters there like Sergio Perez, 
but he is up there. Bright's up there. And I think we will come to see that. Yeah, I really can't wait to start the journey, really, with Brett Johns and see how far he can go. It'd be great if we had... Imagine one day we had the UFC champion and the Bellator champion, both from Wales. That'd be that would be It would be incredible. What's your prediction, then, for Brett's debut fight? Is he going to do it? I think Brett wins a tough decision. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, that, yeah. guy's only, that guy's only lost by a KO was the PTM, who... You know, he, he knocks out a lot of people. He's a heavy hair. When he fought uh, Magmed, he he lost the decision there. So I, I kind of see it being the same. I think Brett comes in, he makes it tough, he makes it tiring, makes it gritty, and he just he just kind of gets his way to a 30-27 win. Great stuff. We really look forward to that one. We're going to move on now to the final topic of this episode. A tri- the trilogy has finally been announced between Conor McGregor the biggest star in the sport and against, it's fair to say, probably his arch nemesis at the moment, Dustin Poirier, the guy who beat him in his last fight. Ollie, I'm not sure, to be honest with you, I'm going to say something quite controversial here. Like, I'm not sure how necessary this rematch was. It seemed like to me, McGregor, he doesn't doesn't look anywhere near what he used to be. Is this rematch really necessary? I think the one thing this rematch does show is McGregor still calls the shots. McGregor wanted the rematch, they give McGregor the rematch. Mm-hmm. So he still has that star power and he's still pretty respected like that in the UFC. Do you think he has a chance of winning this third fight? My heart wants to say yes because I love McGregor. Mm-hmm. But my head says no. I think Pori is so much more active, so much more well-rounded than McGregor, that if McGregor doesn't, you know, catch him with that club of a left hand, I, I just don't see how McGregor wins. Yeah, the key word that you mentioned there is activity. I've said for the best part of three years now, like, McGregor is, is just not active enough. Like, if McGregor no. was more active, he, he'd be such a force, I think. Like, he was at such a... Um, yeah. He's having so many of these high-profile fights, and I think like after the kind of the Mayweather situation, I know I understand that when you make that much money, the desire kind of goes a little bit, and you, when you need you only need to fight once a year, kind of like when Mayweather exactly. did in his career. When you know that much money, why put yourself him. through all those training camps so often? You don't need to and do that. And he also sold his whiskey company for like two hundred million as well. So it, it, when he was coming up, he, I remember I watched an interview with him saying that. He'd have his fight, and then he would spend all the money from the fight. So it made him hungry to go and fight again, to go and win, mm. because he felt like he had to win them. Because you know that's that's his money again. Whereas now, how do you see? It? And he's always said as well, get in, get rich, get out. Yeah, and I think going back to the word activity, I think, I think why Poirier's kind of been more active than McGregor as well is because McGregor's kind of as soon as he's gone to that UFC, it's always been big events. He's always climbed up the ladder so quickly. He's became a millionaire at such a young age, whereas Poirier's kind of gone the more scenic route. He's he's had his losses and he's rebuilt himself and he's yeah. kind of got to a point when he took the world title fights later in his career and he got to that level later in his career. And I think when McGregor kind of was at that level and now he's kind of sort of declining, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's it. And with the, the massive gaps in between him fighting, there's also going to come massive gaps between him training. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be training like he was. And that's where 
things start getting a bit rustic, you know, is your timing comes off a little bit and is that in those milliseconds that you lose on your timing on when to go in for throw your punch and when when to slip make and at that world level it makes the world of difference Poirier he potentially could have had a world title fight next after that win against McGregor however he's chosen to take the trilogy with he's chosen to take the trilogy with McGregor instead of taking a world title yeah. fight do you think it's a strange decision from Poirier to do that? Or do you think no, it makes sense? I, I think it makes sense for Poirier. You know, he, he also has had a lot of fights. He's got the money fight the first time, the, well, the second time round again with McGregor. Mm-hmm. And now he has the opportunity to take the money fight again. You know, it, it, although there's all this, like, you, you want to win belts and stuff, but it, it is a job. We're all, we all do our job because we want to make money. We want to live comfortable. I think that's what Poirier is thinking. He think, I think he thinks he's going to beat McGregor a second time or a third time. Um, and I think then he's thinking, and then I just go for my title fight. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, no matter what happens, if he went to fight for the title and lost, then he's lost that McGregor trilogy, realistically. Who so, do you think, think um, Poirier would have been fighting for that title? if Because obviously Chandler is going to fight Oliveira for it. Would it have been... Um, yeah. Would it be Oliveira or would it be Chandler? Who do you thought? I think it'd be Chandler because he's coming. Okay. He's got a massive knockout win, and the hype is there. Yeah. And although you like you think Oliveira deserves the, the shot, the UFC is business. They're there mm-hmm. to make money, and you you put your hype fighters to fight each other. That's where you make your money. But I mean, compared to fighting Khabib for the title, Chandler would have been. Well, we'd like to think a more winnable fight. It would be such a good chance for Poirier to win a world title, wouldn't it? But then at the same time, you saw that knockout against Dan Hooker. That was a hell of a knockout. Mm. And I think Chandler, his wrestling isn't as good as Khabib's, mm. but it is very good at still. And he, he has that, that one-punch knockout power, which Khabib doesn't. Khabib, you know, walks you down and he'll block, he'll take your shots and block them and grab a hold of you. Whereas Chandler can, when he's walking you down, he's also throwing bombs. So it's a very dangerous fight. So I guess when you put it that way, McGregor, you could argue, could be the less dangerous fight and the much bigger payday. So maybe it was yeah, a genius Yeah, I think McGregor's move. a lot more one-dimensional. You know, if you get close to him and you wrap him up, I mean, McGregor's still a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I think people forget that because uh, the fact that he just knocks everyone out. But all around, I think Chandler is a much more well-rounded fight, especially at the minute as well with time going on. Chandler's definitely the better all-round all round, uh, fighter. Interesting stuff. Where do you think then? So do you think ultimately the winner of this fight between McGregor and Pori, do you think they challenge the winner, Chandler and Oliveira? 100%. That's, that's the only way it goes. I don't think it wouldn't make sense to do anything else. Okay, interesting. So even if McGregor, um, well, mind you, it's a bit of a stupid question really, because if McGregor beats Poirier, even the biggest fight out there to make would be McGregor for the world title, yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. if McGregor won that last fight, McGregor's fighting for the belt this time, but because he lost that. So, yeah, I think it just makes sense. Yeah, it'd be an absolute banker for the UFC if McGregor wins as well. Do you know what I mean? There's one last exactly. shot at the title. And That's all. The, the UFC just need McGregor to win. He just, they yeah. just needs a win, and they can give him a title shot. 
what was going on between uh, Poirier and McGregor? Uh, I say last week, obviously, McGregor announced that the fight was cancelled. There was some sort of dispute about the donation to charity. Is that correct? Yeah, um, Dustin Poirier made some sort of shot at McGregor saying that they hadn't received the half a million dollars donation. Mm. McGregor replied saying, you know, he wants to know, his team want to know exactly where every dollar is going to go. So it's impossible for us to tell what actually went on because mm. so much probably has gone on behind the scenes that we'll never know. But Poirier uh, did tweet not too long ago uh, saying that he apologizes for you know airing his dirty laundry basically and mm. uh, that should have been a private conversation and that shouldn't have that shouldn't have gone out and fair play yeah you got you got to respect Poirier for that really for you know man enough it, it is, saying you know, it is half stuff. disliking it is he is such a likable guy and I wasn't really too butthurt when he um when he beat McGregor because you know no. I'll always go with the uh, the Irishman against the American but yes it was, it was, yeah, you know, you can't fault Dustin Poirier. He seems like a good bloke. What's your prediction for this fight then, all? I know you kind of touched upon where your head and heart was, but can you give me more of how you think the fight's exactly going to go? If, if McGregor doesn't come out and get it done early, I think Poirier is just, he's a, he's a very well-rounded fighter. I think Poirier needs to come out. It's the same thing, again, just throw, the, throw those car kicks. McGregor didn't block them is the problem and those calf kicks they're, they're so deadly basically because mm. there's nowhere for the impact to go the calf muscle's small so when someone's kicking it at a, a very high level uh, uh, a fight it, it, all the all I can't even think of the way all like the force is just staying there which is why the leg swells up so much so it, it's a very dangerous weapon in MMA and it, it's it's kind of strange that it took so long for it to be utilized there's also a nerve in your leg when you get kicked in that calf kick and we saw it when Demetrius Johnson did it to Henry Cejudo in the fight where Cejudo beat him and um, it makes your whole foot cramp and Cejudo got dropped from it because his foot just cramped and rolled mm -hmm. so it is a very dangerous uh, technique that I think Poirier is gonna utilize in McGregor's long stance his leg is there to be kicked do you know what? I'm going to go against that. I think McGregor is going to turn back the clock. I think Poirier is going to be overconfident coming to this fight. And I think McGregor is going to walk him into a shot early does. And I think McGregor is going to have one more shot of that title and cement his legacy. Yeah. I, I would love that. And the other thing that is also kind of pushing me to McGregor's side is the fact that, you know, Nasty McGregor's back. Nice McGregor, although it's, it's like always a good sportsmanship, but boring. We don't watch McGregor because he's a nice guy. We watch him because he rips into people, mm -hmm. gets in their head, and they fight differently. And that's what he did the whole time coming up. He, I mean, the, the most perfect example of that was the Jose Aldo fight. Mm -hmm. Jose Aldo was just stiff when the fight was about to start. And uh, Poirier even said after the second fight, you know, um, someone, one of the uh, media members said to him, uh, was it easier with McGregor being nice? And he said, yeah, you know, I, all I had to focus on was the fight. I didn't have to focus on, you know, all the antics leading up to the fight. So I think it would pay for McGregor to go back to being the bad guy. And from what he's been saying on Twitter, I think he's going to, I think, going to be a hell of a build-up. Uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think McGregor's mental warf warfare is just what kind of sets him apart from most. He's like the... Different level. You know, there, there's... Oh, most of these special fighters, 
past and present, like you know, you get your Tyson Furies who get, you know, they get, they get into your head and that's a massive part of their game and why they win fights. Yeah. Muhammad Ali was the same. He's the one, he used to absolutely talk yeah, his opponents to death. Before the fight has started. And I think, you know, whether you appreciate that or not appreciate that, that is what McGregor's good at and that's what McGregor needs to do in this fight. He needs to get under exactly. Poirier's skin. And it could be his last chance. What that's what we paid to watch as well. We paid to watch McGregor to yeah. That's why everyone watches the press conferences. That's what he gets more views in press conferences than uh, SM fighters do get people watching their fights because you just want to see what he comes out with, what ridiculous stuff he's going to say. You know, some people aren't going to like this, but I think McGregor's, for McGregor's sake, fuck being a role model for, for this next yeah. fight. Go out there, be a dick, absolutely when, wind Poirier up, wind the fans if you have to. Do you know what I mean? Make it. Yeah. <laughs> just making a massive spectacle now it could be your last chance make sure you do everything yeah. that you did before what made you successful because his career is dependent on it yeah I would agree 100% I think on that note we're going to wrap it up here thank you for listening to episode 6 don't forget you can follow us on twitter at capital Y underscore capital C for clinch you can also find us on youtube if you search a clinch fight podcast we're also on Spotify, um, sorry, Instagram at a clinch fight podcast as well. Uh, Ollie, thank you for joining me once again. No worries, thank you. Thanks again. Goodbye. <laughs>